They do have a timeout. Decide not to use it. Curry, way downtown. Bang! Bang! Oh, what a shot from Curry! Two women in front, one there. Scramble for it, and they pluck away at it. Still it's loose. Put that by Covington. They score! It's over! Rodgers is going to roll away. Throws it up in the air. Says a prayer. And Janice is on This is going to be a tough play. Bryant, the Cubs win the World Series! Bryant makes the play! It's over! And the Cubs have finally won it all! Welcome to episode 6 of the Face-Off Podcast. Julian McKenzie, Jake Lapin here. Jake, uh, we've made it to yet another week of Talking Sports. Another we- week, and <laughs> so far we still have a show, so I guess that's a good sign. It's great progress for both of us. Uh, for this week's episode, we are joined by a very special guest, uh, lead editor from the Newshouse, EJ Zaret. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us on uh, episode six of the podcast. Oh, no problem. True but pleasure. I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. We got to jump in on some college ball. Uh, if you've been living, if you've been, li- if you've been living under a rock. Uh, you probably missed out on the uh, the shot heard around the world from John Gillen last week versus Duke. Shot heard around the world. And Fine, not, maybe not, around maybe around like college place, Central New York. Maybe, yeah, central shot New York. heard around Central New York. Well, I mean, it was up accurate. on ESPN. Hey, that's New York's college 10. team you're talking about. All right, that's what they say. So. Yeah. Rumor shot was up it. on ESPN, and I mean, America thinks of itself as the as the world leader, right? So it's practically the world, right? I, I guess we I guess we could go with that. Okay. But uh, we're going to recap, uh, to start the show, we're going to recap uh, this la- Syracuse's last week, uh, you know, and, and their push to make the big dance. They had the big win over Duke and the loss over Louisville over the weekend. But let's let's focus on happy times, right? Let's focus on the John Gillen shot first, right? This season could be hanging here. Could be NIT or NCAA. Good defense. Kennard forces it. Lighten's got it. With five seconds to go. They're going to pay attention to the clock. Gillen. Well, it was arguably the highest point and lowest point of the season all mixed into one week. But the highest point was pretty high, and it was, it was pretty awesome. I, I was in the building. I think EJ was also in the Yeah, building. I was covering the game for the news house. That, that roar at the end, I don't, know if I, I don't know if I've ever heard anything louder in my life. So that was one of the coolest moments I think I could remember of being in a sporting event. When he hit that shot, it was so spontaneous. I don't. I couldn't imagine that before the game. I don't think you could have scripted that game any better. So, in terms of just pure enjoyment watching, did you rush the court after the game? I tried to get on the court to take some video, but by the time I got up from my seat, there were already so many people rushing on the court that it was impossible for me to to get on, get down there. So, okay, so you were you were trying to rush the court in the name of journalism? Yeah, I. I couldn't couldn't be screaming <laughs> that game, so yeah. Because I heard I heard, and I will keep his name nameless. I heard a, a media member was trying to rush the court uh, for the sake of just rushing the court. I will keep him nameless because I don't want to uh, expose him. That seems like here. it's crossing the line with uh, yeah. I, don't, I agree. Athletes, I agree. But, I don't uh, want to do that. I was not at the game. Uh, I missed it because I was working on uh, stuff. But I was watching uh, the game live from a big screen TV somewhere inside Newhouse. And definitely not the same thing. Definitely so. not the same thing. Excuses. But I, I ran around like a maniac and I lost my voice for a few days. Fortunately, That's shocking. Yes. 
Where it was everyone surprised? <laughs> well, me losing my voice or you, you being a little quieter? <laughs> no, I, quiet around Newhouse for like a couple days. See, really weird. I'm, see I, I'm a social person. I like to talk a lot. So even if my voice is shot, I will still find a way to sound like this. Not that bad, but you know, I will still find a way to talk. But uh, that was, I mean, John Gillen has found himself in moments where he's had to be that guy, and that's probably the high. That was the highest point for him at that point in the year, beating off Duke. Uh, a lot of people came into that game with all these expectations, and obviously Duke is his big name school. At that moment, did you think that Syracuse was pretty much in for the March Madness tournament? This was before the Louisville game, which we'll get to in a second. Felt a lot more comfortable after getting that win under their belt because before that, you know, you were kind of thinking maybe they finally got over their road woes, had won uh, one, but oh my God. Then after losing that game last weekend at Georgia Tech, he started worrying again. Mm-hmm. And this became a must-win, no ifs, ands, or buts about it, except for, of course, the uh, the ultimate if you win the AC tournament, which is not going to happen this year. This conference is way too Ye deep. Ye of little faith. But I, I literally think, yes, the shot was big, just from a general Syracuse versus Duke emerging rivalry standpoint. I mean, I've never been to a game with... I've never been to any basketball game on any level with 30,000 people in the building until right then and there. That is truly spectacular. But I also think it was a monumental shot in the fact that it was pretty much the difference between feeling good about getting into this tournament and feeling bad about it. That may be dramatic, but I, I really feel that it was that big to get that win on their resume and prove that they are pretty much nearly invincible at home to convince the committee enough that they belong in the dance. Uh, going off that, I think that it gave him a little more breathing room because if you lose that game against Duke after losing to Georgia Tech, that means your last two games of the year were must-wins at Louisville, which is a really tough matchup for Syracuse, especially on the road, and then at home against Georgia Tech. I think this, if they split, if they beat against Georgia Tech uh, next weekend, I think they're pretty much solidly in. And Gillen's shot was big at the end there, but Tyus Battle's play in the second half kind of has gotten lost in the shuffle after that shot, but I think that could have been equally as big. Those two step-backs that he hit really kept him in the game, and they were pretty they were pretty good one-on-one moves. So. Three wins over uh, top ten teams this year as an unranked team. That's Syracuse. Is that, that's huge. Is that not good enough to, to put a team in? Three, I mean, FSU, Virginia... And Duke. Fine, they were at home, but still. I think I saw that's the first time a team has been unranked for an entire season and beaten three top ten teams. I maybe missed huge for they, they, were, they were ranked to start the year in the first couple okay. of polls. Right. right, but they but for those three wins they were not ranked. If you look at the other teams right, on the, right, right. if you look at the other teams on the bubble, none of those teams have wins anywhere near equal to the ones that Syracuse has. Like if you look at Georgia, who is in Joe Lenardi's first four out today, their best win is maybe against Alabama, which doesn't compare at all to beating Florida State or Virginia or Duke. And if you look at Rhode Island, which is another team in the first four out, their best win might be against Cincinnati, which is also Cincinnati's a top 25 team, but not on the level of Duke or Virginia. So I think that those three wins could be the difference between getting into the tournament and what and not getting into the tournament. But at the same time, if the committee starts weighing losses, Syracuse might have the worst loss on their resume of any team on the bubble, losing by 33 points to St. John's at home. That's not pretty. So There's nothing they can do about that now. Right. 
Maybe. I think, and going off that, I think if they win one game, if they beat Georgia Tech this weekend and then they win one game in the ACC tournament, I think you could safely say that they're going to be in the tournament field. So, Any thoughts on the uh, the loss to Louisville, losing by 20 points over the weekend? I think Louisville's a really tough matchup for Syracuse just because they, they, Syracuse only plays like, what, five, six, maybe seven guys, and Louisville, they grind you, they're... Scoring against them is so difficult. So if you're only playing six or seven guys, really only five guys play, you get worn down by the end of the game. And especially when Syracuse had to press, those guys were expending a lot of energy. So that's a really difficult matchup for them. So I'm not surprised. I mean, the margin was pretty big, but I'm not surprised that they lost in that game. Uh, Seeing this uh, Patino defense a couple of times now, I I think that Louisville team can make a very deep run in March. They're, They're built for that they defend so well you look it looks like you have an open three and then they you pump fake and it turns out and they just lock it down immediately that zone with man-to-man principles is really impressive do you think they're going to score enough to make a big run though that's always the question with patino's teams Uh, they need they need their guard play to be on point snyder especially they need him to uh just you know get enough production but i like the way they're able to defend i think that'll help them get easily past the first weekend and possibly through the second. So as of this podcast, uh, Joe Lenardi uh, was in charge of this great big bracket, uh, really good odds that it could be as close to what we could see on Selection Sunday. Uh, he has Syracuse as a 10 seed versus Maryland the first round as a 7 seed. How are we liking this bracket so far? Well, Jerry will, Pal- that air, will that end? Jerry Palm, who's the CBS sports guy, had Syracuse as his first team out. But going off Joe, I think I like Joe Lenardi's a little better. But because Syracuse is in, I think Syracuse <laughs> is in. I don't know how you could leave him off with those wins. Like you're not going to put Rhode Island in over Syracuse with the, all those top ten wins. But I, I think Syracuse would have a good shot against Maryland if that's how it looks. I think the Big Ten's kind of weak this year, and Melo Trimble is really good for Maryland. But I don't know what else they have. So it's the weakest they've been in a long time. I think you could say Big Ten. I, I don't know if they have one really good, like Purdue's pretty good. Like Caleb Swanigan's really fun to watch, and like of they're capable of making a bigger run. But after that, like Indiana's huge disappointment. Michigan State's okay, and you never know what Izzo could do in the tournament. But Absolutely. That being said, last year everyone expected them to go to the Final Four. They get out in the second round. Yeah, like Ohio State was supposed to be a little better this year. They've been a disappointment as well. So I think that that's a that would be a good matchup for Syracuse in the first round. So. And remember, they were a 10 seed last year. Mm-hmm. And I firmly stand by this. I think a 10 seed is better than an 8 or 9 seed. I think an 11 and a 12 seed is better than an 8 or 9 seed. Because of the matchups you get? Exactly. You avoid a number one seed in the second round, assuming you do move on. I think the difference between a 2 and a 1 is more significant. It depends on the year, but I think this year included, than the difference between a 7, 6, and 5. And if you look at the one seeds this year, they could be really good. Like I think Kansas is probably the second best team in the country i think north carolina is the best team in the country i think justin jackson's the most underrated player in college basketball oh he can heat up Th- that and guy you're done that guy you're watching a game and you're like i don't really don't think justin jackson's done that much and you look up and he has 15 points and seven <laughs> rebounds <laughs> so, gets it, and carolina rebounds and i think in the tournament you got to rebound if you want to win and with meeks and hicks and pinson inside there'd be a really tough matchup for anyone is unc your really really early pick to be national champion i would pick North Carolina and Kansas in the national championship. If I had to pick today, depending on the bracket, how the brackets look, I think Villanova is good again. I don't think they're as good right. as they were last year. Definitely not. Neither but is Carolina. No, I don't know about that. I mean, Carolina losing uh, 
Marcus Page is a big loss. He was and, a leader of that team, and then and Butler Bryce, was and Bryce just Johnson. reliable. Bryce Johnson, yeah, that's yeah. what I mean. But I mean, Joe Barry's played really well, and I think that they're the most balanced team in the country. So I think that balance is if you have all, if you could rebound and you could score, their defense is, comes and goes. But if you could rebound and you could score, I think you're in a good shape for the tournament. So. Really quickly, uh, we should go in a little bit on the ACC tournament going down March 7th to the 11th at the Barclays Center. It, as of right now, uh, depending on what happens going over the weekend, Syracuse looks as if they could be in position to skip the Tuesday game and go right into the second round. Maybe they have themselves, they have themselves a meeting with Virginia Tech. Uh, I would say that Virginia Tech is my sleeper team in the ACC tournament. They have five guys who average more in double figures, and they have a six guy who average 9.2. So that's a lot of depth, especially with Syracuse. You only play five or six guys like that. And that could really, you know, hurt if they have all these guys who could score. And Virginia Tech is just hungry enough where they need a win to secure their bid in the NCAA tournament. So I covered Binghamton basketball for two years. And in that, in that tournament, it was never about who was hungry and who wasn't. Because those teams, if you win the tournament, you're in the NCAAs. If you lose, you're out. And a lot of those guys will never play again. So all those... Guys showed up hungry and ready to play. But in the ACC tournament, you, you know, you have your North Carolinas, you have your Dukes, you have your Notre Dames, where they are in the NCAA tournament, so there's less of importance on the ACC tournament. So sometimes those teams don't show up as hungry as, you know, some teams that really need to win to make the tournament. But Virginia is just talent. Virginia Tech is just talented enough where, you know, they can play really well and be a really good team and also hungry enough where they need that win to, you know, secure their NCAA tournament bid. So I would be careful, be a little weary of them. Who's to say Syracuse wouldn't be hungry enough for a matchup against VT considering how they've been playing last few games? Yes, they lose that game to Louisville, but they've essentially just been playing to, to get into, uh, get out of the bubble. Right, right? That, that's a really good that's point. Another, yeah. that, it could be a really good game because both teams will be equally as hungry because Syracuse will need that win as well, so... I think you could say that about a lot of ACC teams. I, I think it's clearly the best conference in college basketball this season. It, I mean, you have arguably four like elite teams that could potentially win it all, and you have a ton of teams within there that are going to make the tournament, or at least on the bubble, that can take care of those elite teams, at least on their home floor. Right, like Clemson. Wake Forest and Georgia Tech are exactly. all going to need wins those, to get those in. Three. But what I like about Virginia Tech is they do have five, six really talented players. Like when you look at Wake Forest, it's John Collins and not much else. You know, so with Virginia Tech, with all the talent, I feel like they're and if they come hungry and ready to play, they'll be a really difficult matchup. So, I think the ACC tournament is not even as important for a lot of these ACC teams as it is, as other tournaments are for the ACC teams. You need to be watching these mid-major conferences, and you have to be hoping that these teams that potentially have an at-large chance are going to just take care of business and win their conferences. You can't afford to have too many spaces uh, filled up by these automatic bids of teams that you did not expect to be in the field because those are the biggest bubble bursters every year. you got to always watch out for those. And I, So I think ACC teams will be glued to their TV very much outside of the ACC tournament. Right, like if BYU winds up winning the WCC tournament, like that's a bid right there. And exactly. BYU just beat Gonzaga. Yep. So if Ended their undefeated streak. You need Gonzaga to yeah. hold it or, down or, or because Saint, they're getting in, obviously. Or St. Mary's. St. Mary's will get in also. So very if either true. one of those teams win that tournament, you know, that's not stealing a bid. But if BYU wins, that, that could be some trouble for those teams on the bubble. So Do you have faith in Gonzaga? I think Gonzaga is really good this year. I wouldn't pick them to make the Final Four, I don't think. Yeah, Mark Few has not been able to 
just take that extra step right. with a lot of talented teams he's had in the past, and I'm not sure this quite stacks up to some of those that have already fallen short. Do you think they've matched up against enough quality opposition to potentially justify them getting into the Final Four or making a deep run? No. <laughs> uh, frankly, no. I mean, it's it's one of those things you never know, but I think they're a very good team, and I, you cannot punish a team for... You know, they did lose. They did I'm lose. Sorry, they were almost undefeated. Right, but still, like if a team's losing less than three times in the regular season, you, you can't punish them. They deserve a one or potentially two seed. I mean, Gonzaga did beat a Florida team that's really good in the SEC. They beat an Iowa State team that won at Kansas, and they beat an Arizona team. Now, Arizona didn't have Trier, Trier, Trier when they played, but still, I mean, those are three arguably top 25 teams, so I think they have a lot of more quality wins this year than they have in previous years, but I don't know, something about not going through that gauntlet of an ACC or a Big East schedule doesn't always, you know, gives me a little weary about Even Florida them. and the SEC, I don't think you could argue that schedule is that impressive this year either, but I, you make a very valid point, absolutely. Syracuse, even though the bracket for the ACC tournament hasn't been finalized as of yet, how many games are we giving Syracuse? One, two, maybe a third? It looks as if we're going for the one or two here. I'm leaning towards one, if that. If, I mean, I mean these I, guys away from the dome are so unreliable. You don't, you just, you just can't count on them the second they leave Central New York. And it depends where they end up in the bracket. Like if they end up playing in the first round, do they play like a Pitt or a Clemson? I think they could win that game. So then maybe they could win a second game on day two. But I don't think they're going to get past day three. But you never know what could happen, right? That's what they it's say about very March, true. So. It's the, the least predictable thing ever, which is great. That's why we love throw. it. If Andrew White, I mean Andrew White hasn't played well the last couple of games, but if he gets hot and Gillen stays hot and Battle stays, I mean I don't think Syracuse is. I can't remember a game where that I've watched that Syracuse has all, had all five of their best players play really well together. So if that happens and they click at the right time, like Syracuse could beat North uh, Duke or again or North Carolina. You know, you never know what could happen if that happens. So. What about Tyler Lydon? I know we've, we've given a lot of spotlight to, to Gillen and, and we look at White a lot, but Lydon, I know we looked at him looked at him as the, the guy on this team. I'll let you take that one first. Lydon, <laughs> I have mixed emotions about it. Against Duke. Right, in the first half. So I was, was not at the main press table. I was kind of off to the side. So I was underneath the basket where Syracuse was scoring in the first half. And there were a lot of times where Lydon looked like he wanted the ball and he didn't get it. I and mean, I still think Lydon is Lydon's by far Syracuse's best rebounder when he plays if Roberson's not in. And he could shoot threes, so that's really valuable. But I think he needs the ball more, and I don't think he always gets it. And I think if he's a little more aggressive in the first half, that could really help his confidence. But he did, I think he had 17 and 10 against yeah. Louisville. So yeah. He's picking, you know, yes. Yeah. So I don't know. I think he, I don't, he's hit or miss, you know. But I do think yeah. he's Syracuse's most talented player and has the best potential. So, you, again, you never know what could happen in March. So He's so inconsistent. Yeah. I, I just I hate the cliches of accusing someone of not being a leader and then that being a fault against theirs. And I still think Leiden is a good NBA prospect when it's all said and done potentially late first round, early second, but he's he's really not a leader. He They kept trying to get him to switch on to a smaller guy in the Duke game, and he's he's not, I mean, he'll stick his arm up once in a while, but he's not really demanding the ball. He's not going to get it either, and he kind of uh, falls away from the big shot from time to time. We've seen Gillen is the one who's taken big shot when it matters most. Absolutely. So, but do you think that's because Gillen has the ball in his hand, so he has more opportunity? Of, of course, that's a factor. But I also think, I think Beheim has a man crush on Tyler Lydon, and 
I think a bunch of people. I, I thought that, a bunch of people going into this year had that man crush on Tyler Lydon. Uh, okay, fair enough. But the guy is playing forty minutes a game, literally, and he's just he disappears so often. For someone who does not come out of the game, I think that's just pretty ridiculous. Just Teams from just the eyeball test, there alone. Teams just rub him out, and they force him to use a guy like Gillen to shoot from outside. And you could also argue that maybe he's not being fully effective because he knows he's not going to be able to sit out for a few minutes and take a breather. I mean, Coach Q takes Alexis Peterson out. It might be for 20 <laughs> seconds at a time, but he will. I don't know. Just he's, He just he disappears too often, but and I they Syrac- need him this March if they're going to make any sort of run. I think Syracuse is a lot worse with Lydon off the floor because then you're either playing Thompson in the middle, who's not as good. Oh, tremendous or, liability. Yeah. If Lydon comes off the floor and Thompson are both off the floor, you're in trouble. And Thompson is not great defensively, so that's an issue. But going back to Lydon offensively, there have been a lot of times where Syracuse has come out in the second half and they've really made a point of getting him the ball in the paint and he has been effective and then they kind of go away from that. So I think that that is when they're at their most effective offense, when they're getting it to him in the paint. Like a lot of times they've closed big halftime gaps by getting it to Lydon three or four times sure. down. So I think that mm-hmm. that is really important to remember. And once he uh, steps back and knocks down an open-looking three, that'll open a lot more things up because they'll start paying attention to him out there. And then that's when White, who has no dribbles apparently, is able to attack the lane, even him, just because they have to pay attention to Lydon more from outside. I agree with you. I think if White and Lydon play really well in the ACC tournament and the NCAA tournament, that they could be a a, give some higher-seeded teams in trouble. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's really just going to do it for our talk about the ACC tournament, the big dance, the March Madness, and Syracuse basketball. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to go through a whole slate of topics. I mean, the Oscars were over the week, and we have to kind of mention the mishap that was there. Definitely. But there's a whole bunch of sports we need to touch off as well. The NBA trade deadline was last week. All this and more on the Face Off podcast. Oh, yes, indeed. I like this. I like this. Favorite, man. Speed it up a little bit. From the intro, you know I'm so influential Cause I'm glowing like a candle The focus is so essential Dog, what you trying to get into A steady to flow, ready to blow Like snotty tissue, they snitching like Donnie Brasco I'm counting like Monte Cristo The ghetto full of betrayal Like Iago and Othello Your fellow neighbor will slay you They'll smoke you like cigarellos Police want that info to grill them like portobellos And murdering instrumentals Cause the rap with the conscious The villains, killers, and monsters So we're feeling the honors We're still fulfilling the promise So nice to kill them with kindness Hitting like Muhammad Ali, you more like Tatiana. All this is probably karma. You dishonored the father, whether it's God Almighty or the Back at it here on the Face Off Podcast. Julian McKenzie, Jake Lapin, EJ Zarrett, special guest from the news house. Thank you so much for joining us for episode six. This is so much fun. Thanks for having me. You you sound really excited. That or you're lying to us. Either one, it's up to you guys <laughs> to decide. So. No, don't lie to us if you're actually having fun. We, no, this is a good time. Okay, this is good. You don't have to say it for the sake of just saying it, EJ. I mean, I, I would have had these conversations if we were just uh, sitting in class, so That's now true. they're recorded. So. That is Incredibly true. accurate. True. Uh, we're going to go through a huge slate of topics. You know, the sports world is buzzing with a ton of stuff to talk about. Uh, last week, we uh, talked a little bit, quite a bit, about the, uh, the DeMarcus Cousins trade, and we looked ahead to the trade deadline that has since come and passed. Uh, players have been moved since. Uh, we know the Raptors were active. Uh, the Boston Celtics were inactive. There's a whole. Uh, the Lakers were also active as well. There's a whole ton of teams that were active. Uh, very quickly, if we can give out a winner and a loser from the NBA trade deadline, uh, who would like to begin? Okay, I'll start with my winner, and this is after the boogie trade. Who? Oh, by the way, the Pelicans have 
not been exactly blowing everyone out since that trade. But I mean, those two players day. in particular, but Boogie and uh, AD have been blow have been playing really well. Fair but, enough. Uh, Fair you enough. know, not the team. Okay, I think the Dallas Mavericks made a very good deal in prying Nerlens Noel away from the Sixers, who were appearing uh, supposedly looking to trade Jaleel, and ended up parting with Noel, who I think. They compared him to Tyson Chandler, and I think the biggest part of that comparison is because now he's a Maverick and he helped them win a championship. But a defensive-minded center, a freak athlete, still very young, uh, 23 years old, I believe, mm-hmm. maybe 22. And when I first saw it was, a fir- for, it, was a, it was for a first rounder, I was like, what are they doing? They need this pick. But then I saw his top 18 protected, and there's no way the Mavericks have a pick fall below 18. So it's going to turn into a second rounder this year and a second rounder next year, I believe. So I think that was a good move. They got rid of Bogut, who wasn't really doing them much good anyway, hasn't been able to stay healthy all season, and he probably wants to play for a contender anyway. It looks looks like, as if he might go to the Cavs. Yeah, which would be very interesting uh, final story if we get a, a 3P, which I assume we will. By the way, uh, Noel is 22 years old. Uh, a 22, born, okay. Born a day before I was born, actually. Also, wow. also on beads out now for the Sixers, so that could really yeah, work hurting us. them, trading Noel. So. Well, or helping them, depending on how you, yeah, uh, on how you look at it. Depending on if they're looking for a higher pick again. Yeah. But. A loser for you, Jake. A loser? You may not like it. Okay. I don't see how P.J. Tucker is going to help the Raptors. And it, it's it's pretty unfair that this whole Kyle Lowry thing just fell on them. But I think they're sitting here pretending to be contenders, and they're really not. And it, it's too bad. They're a very good team, and I respect Kyle Lowry's game. I think Dwayne Casey is a, a solid coach. But they're they're not going to win this the East. No, and I don't and think they're anyone, giving up pieces. No, I don't think anyone outside of the Cleveland Cavaliers has really shown uh, a, a te- as the, themselves as a team that could step over them. Uh, but I did like what the Toronto Raptors did. I mean, it would have been great if they would have gone out for Boogie Cousins, but I like the fact that they got PJ Tucker. Uh, I was reading a, a piece on PJ Tucker for the Ringer, and uh, one uh, commendable part of his game is the fact that he's been able to defend LeBron James in the past. So. Not and, in and a what, playoff series. Hey, we don't know how that will go, but hey, well, maybe right. he could be an X factor. I saw. And one thing with the NBA playoffs, you have your your starting five guys. You need those depth players. PJ Tucker could end up being a decent sure. depth player. I think PJ Tucker's a good player to have on a championship contending team. Good depth player. And on top of that, having a guy like Serge Ibaka, I like that trade. I like having another body in the front court. Fine. Toronto did not do enough to get to the NBA Finals. Who knows? Maybe it might not even be good enough for them to reach the conference finals. I I think it could be, but who knows? But maybe not I, now because their seating's going to slip. Absolutely. But I think that Masai Ujiri he realized fine. I need to make these moves at the deadline. He wasn't a sitting duck. He at least tried to do something. So I can't be mad at him for that. As opposed to Danny Ainge, who was sitting on his assets and picks, and he really didn't do anything. So you think is Boston your loser? Boston's my loser. I think Toronto's. I will pick Toronto as a winner, and I will pick Boston as a loser. I think Boston had an opportunity to go out and get a big time player, and they could have been an easily a, top, a number two seed, and they probably could have given Cleveland some fits. Maybe not necessarily beat them, but I think they would have given them a chance. And all you really need is a chance. But what kind of assets are you willing to give up to lose to Cleveland in six games? Exactly, and or if not five, <laughs> could be seven uh, if Solinger you get her and two second rounders this year or next. I don't know. I mean, it's, you know, second rounders are usually miss, can be a hit from time to time. But Cheap young players. And now that the cap's not going yeah. back up, you need those Tucker's guys. Tucker's not so. a piece to help build around by any means. No. It, I saw a funny tweet. It was 
uh, the Raptors made the trade for P.J. Tucker to help them guard LeBron. And someone said, does Tucker have a map to someone who can guard LeBron? <laughs> that was pretty funny. True. Uh, so EJ, my, do you have your winner and a loser? My winner is going to be the Thunder. I think their their move was a little under the radar, but they got McDermott. Definitely. McDermott's a great shooter. He could give Westbrook more space to operate. And they got Taj Gibson, who's a good inside defender, and he can rebound and give him a little scoring punch. And they really didn't give up that much. I still think Cameron Payne could be a good player, but he kind of needs the ball to thrive, and he's not getting the ball with Westbrook. Nope. And they gave up Anthony Mora, who's a dead body at this yeah. point. He just stands in the corner and shoots threes. He's not really helping. He hasn't been shooting well, and he doesn't really defend. That's all he does, and he hasn't yeah. been doing it and well. And he doesn't yeah. defend at all, so that doesn't nope. help you. And they gave up a second-round pick, so I think that they're the winner. Uh, my loser's got to be the Knicks. I think that Phil Jackson spent months alienating Carmelo Anthony, and now they're stuck together. Uh, I think they should have moved him. I think there are deals out there, and I think they should have moved Derrick Rose also because I don't think they should re-sign him. And there are definitely deals out there with the Timberwolves, so I think that that was you're not making the playoffs standing pat. So, I mean, they waived Jennings today. Like, yes. You could have dealt Jennings for a second-round pick somewhere, I'm sure. Like They're Probably. just like, now you just gave him away for free. So that's not helping your team at all. So you They're such a dumpster fire that I like. I, they're like below loser. I didn't even think about them. Yeah, yeah I did not think about it. But it, I w- was, it was shocking yeah. they didn't make any type of move. Like I thought for sure they'd move Rose. Like they're not. I mean, if they give Derrick Rose a max contract, like, yeah, that's a I huge saw mistake. a buyout before the end of the season is possible for Derrick Rose. So why not move into the Timberwolves? Like the Timberwolves were that willing, deal was out there. Yeah, they were willing to move. I mean, the reports were they were willing to move Rose for Ricky Rubio. Like why not take a flyer on Rubio? Like he has a big contract, but like. Maybe he could play well with Carmelo Anthony. Like, he doesn't need the ball. He could get it to Carmelo in spots where he could score. Like, him and Perzingis in a pick and roll would be Definitely really good. Definitely a better so, defender than Rose, yeah. uh, without a doubt. You mentioned uh, during the winner and loser segment uh, Kyle Lowry going down with an injury. His wrist has been bothering from quite some time. It seems as if he will be out for the remainder of the regular season. Uh, there is a possibility he could get in some game time before the playoffs start. Towards but, the very end. Very end, but... Uh, I, Hey, if he's hurt, no sense uh, putting him out for games. The Raptors need him rested as much as possible so they can make that playoff run. So if he gets, if he's healthy enough to play late season games, fine, but I have no problem seeing Kyle Lowry on the bench until the playoffs begin. They just can't slip too far. I don't, you don't want to be – look, you really don't want to be a four or five and then have to face Cleveland in round two, although it could be slightly advantageous considering that Kevin Love may still be getting in the groove of things, but I don't think – that would truly matter in that series. And with series. P.J. Tucker to guard LeBron James, you know. You're oh, in a, yeah, exactly. They're in a great spot. Absolutely so. not. Um, um, Mark Cuban got in trouble. Well, not got in trouble, but uh, he had a dispute with the Bleacher Report. He did. I have the uh, full letter here. There was a tweet from Bleacher Report that said, Dirk forever, and it was a video of Dirk shooting an air ball, okay? It happens. The guy was a great player in his prime, one of the best of all time, probably the best foreign player of all time. Yeah. A lot older now, not an all-star by any means. So they, they tweeted out. It, it wasn't a great tweet at all. I didn't find it that funny, but, you know, it's whatever. It's Bleach Report doing its thing. They do this quite often. I mean, I can tell you they've had a ton of hardened defensive lapses over the years. And this is what Mark Cuban says to the president of Turner. He said, you tweet Dirk forever and show him throwing up an air ball. I expect an apology immediately, or you can expect me to take a very strong stand in support of one of the greatest players of all time. Who the fuck thinks this is remotely acceptable, and why are they working for you? Oh no, you swore on a podcast. Okay. I don't understand what his issue was. Like, how is that any different than someone getting dunked on? Like, that's way more embarrassing. 
some a, a gif of someone getting dunked on and Dirk. I mean, everyone airballs shots. I don't think. What's worse, uh, that video or a video of Javal McGee with all his mishaps uh, being superimposed with uh, a trailer from Doctor Strange, like what the NBA on T- the NBA on TNT guys did to Javal McGee. I think that's way worse. And, I mean, who ha- who hasn't played a pickup game of basketball and missed the rim by a lot? Like, Dirk, Dirk's made a lot of shots. I don't think one video of an air ball was going to ruin his reputation. So I don't. I think that his letter made a much bigger deal of it than it was. I think that if he hadn't said anything, that would have gone away. So And similar to, to Mark Cuban, uh, JaVal McGee wasn't happy about it. And, and there was word going around that the Golden State Warriors reached out to TNT about the situation. And Kevin Durant went to the media about it to stick up for his teammate and he, he brought him the fact that he, he, brought, he made that one shot about he uh, was surprised that uh, cops were uh, out here, uh, you know, harassing civilians, you know, referring to the fact Shaq was a cop. Are NBA players starting to get really sensitive about these things? I think they are. It's just it, we've never seen anything like this because of social media. I mean, that's what it is. It's, it's unprecedented. But what's that saying about all attention is good attention? You know, like, Javon McGee could be irrelevant if they hadn't made that video about him. Now everyone's talking about him. So, I don't know. There's pluses and minuses to everything. Like, I'm sure it's a little embarrassing, but how many people know who JaVale McGee is now who didn't know him last week? I mean, in all fairness, we knew about JaVale McGee for years when he was acting a fool with Washington. Yeah, from doing others. I'm, doing a whole bunch of others. Yeah. I knew about JaVale McGee from the gifts on Bleacher Report of him <laughs> not, uh, not paying attention on defense, so... Right. Well, I don't think he's any worse than J.R. Smith is not paying attention on defense, but that's for another time. Uh, We don't have a lot of time. Speaking of time, uh, any last words on uh, the crazy ending of the Oscars last night? Uh, La La Land looking as if they were supposed to get Best Picture, but it turns out Warren Beatty read from the wrong envelope, and Moonlight is the winner of Best Picture. Which was worse, the Oscars or Miss Universe? The Oscars, because people care about the Oscars. Yes, and uh, I mean, that mistake falls on production because it looks as if uh, the presenters had the wrong envelope and, and that's on them to get the right card out and I mean well I mean Steve Harvey read had the right card he just read the wrong name. He misinterpreted it. Uh, it does look kind of really bad on Steve. I mean I don't think we need to make too many jokes about Steve Harvey's anymore. Harvey's probably I, thrilled about the mistake. Absolutely yes. I, I bet you Steve Harvey was um, the only person yeah. happy about that Oscar mistake. So. Yeah, and the and the uh, people from Moonlight could, were probably pretty happy about could, it. Could Ultimately, you, could you imagine their range of emotions between that what five minutes? Absolutely, you you and feel you, disappointment. Who's, and, whose range of emotions was higher? We go from thinking of winning to losing, or thinking you lost to winning? Which one is worse? Do you think? Uh, oh, I don't know. That is really tough. When would, you lose, I mean. I guess for a movie like Moonlight, you 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 feel a little disappointed, and then you you go up on stage and you're feeling you're feeling really happy about it, but you also feel sad because of the fact that uh, La La Land they were they were up there on stage, the the whole cast and crew were up there celebrating, and then they get that snatched away. I think going from that thrill of the victory to having it s- literally snatched away from you feels a lot worse. It was just uh, an unfortunate I, situation. Absolutely, it's hard. I mean, yes, you mentioned it's. It, I bet the the guys from Moonlight were feeling really good about themselves, but I bet they were feeling a little guilty about how it all went down. That being said, a lot of people felt that Moonlight deserved to win anyway. Good for Jordan Horowitz, the uh, producer for La La Land, for uh, calling out the mistake and yes. making sure that to set the record straight. Uh, he's been getting a lot of praise on social media today, and well-deserved, well absolutely. Can you imagine if this had been flipped and they announced Moonlight oh, at one? Oh, no. Oh, no. The world would... Oh, no. 
that would be I think that would have been a more outra- more outrage, and the academy would have suffered greatly for it. Oh my Who's God. getting fired from that mistake? Who takes the fall? I wonder if someone's getting fired for the mistake that happened anyway. I mean, if the other way around happened, yeah, someone's definitely getting fired. Let me fired. just say, if it didn't happen, do you think we'd be talking about the Oscars on the Face Off episode six? I highly doubt it. I wouldn't have been who able knows? to tell you who won Best Picture if that didn't happen. Yeah, so. there you go. There you go. And that's going to do it for episode six of the uh, Face Off podcast. Uh, EJ, thank you very much for joining Appreciate us on it. the thanks, next episode. Thanks again for having me. We can check out your work on the News House. Am I right? Anywhere else? Uh, uh, com was a former outlet of mine, and um, that's about it. So hoping to, <laughs> hoping to be paid real soon. So Way to plug, sir. Way to plug. Uh, for Jake Lapin and uh, Jeremy Joshua working around the board, thank you, Jeremy. I'm Julie McKenzie. This has been another edition of the Face Off podcast. Thank you for listening. <laughs>